1: Team Human is entirely commercial free and supported by you. Please join Team Human supporters like Alice Stewart, Tom Locke, Jill Campbell, RJ Gone Patreon, and Daniel Reuter. And become a subscriber. You go to teamhuman.fm and click on support or go to patreon.com slash teamhuman. And you'll get all sorts of cool stuff. You could, you know, uh, get books or, or things or just, you know, for two bucks a month, you get full access to everything. You get bonus content. You get access to our Discord channel. You get uh, love and and support and other people. So join us, leave your field to flower. I'll see you in the discord. Thanks a lot. You're on team human conscious intervention in the machine, your respite from the fear and loathing, your safe space to think dangerous thoughts and say dangerous things, a chance to reconnect your mind with your heart and your body with your soul. Yes, you're on Team Human, and there's nothing you can do about it. Playing for Team Human today, cultural theorist and the head of education at Digital Void, my friend, Dr. Jamie Cullen We live in that
3: meta-space where everything is just the reaction to the reaction. We no longer have the real any longer. We're just kind of bouncing around in reactionary stances everywhere.
1: Jamie will be walking us through and hopefully to the other side of our fascist media environment. It's time to intervene on behalf of the people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Well, Happy New Year to you all, and welcome to another year of team human. I'm going to be a little bit looser this year. You know, we were tried to really maintain a very strict schedule of a episode every other week, and then bonus content every off week, and this and that. And and what I'm going to try to do now is kind of as many episodes as I can in a month, probably two, but sometimes three or more, and one piece of special bonus content, right? Some special thing for our uh, team human supporting members, you know, a talk from the past or an interview with someone like Tim Leary or Terrence McKenna, and one salon event per month. I haven't figured out exactly when that'll be, but it'll be like, you know, that first Thursday of every month at some time or whatever, but we'll have, you know, one a month salon where we can all get together in an audio salon on our Discord server and uh, have a talk either just with with each other or we'll bring a guest back and uh, have a conversation like that. So that's the plan moving forward. Hopefully it'll be more stuff, but more family stuff, you know, more stuff that kind of brings us together um, rather than just throwing more content at you. There's so much content out there. And I want each conversation that I bring you to be a really special one, you know, something that, that, that matters. Um, and, and today's with Jamie Cohn is definitely uh, going to be one of those. But first, I thought I'd share uh, some of my thoughts about what's been going on lately. I think I let myself get worked up for too long about the culture wars on Twitter and its extensions on cable television they are not based in reality but in rhetoric so this year i'm i'm going to just ignore them i think we can trace the ideological roots of today's you know, WrestleMania, in part to Donald Trump's invented facts about Obama's birth or a Mexican invasion, but also to Hillary Clinton's very ill-advised characterization of Trump's supporters as a basket of deplorables, which – totally inflame nearly half the country. And the rest of what we're living through feels like just the reverberation of these same original sins. And none of today's caustic exchanges, they wouldn't have gained any traction if it weren't for a media industry just intent on milking every last penny of engagement from sensationalizing this rhetoric and aggravating as many people as possible. And no, I do not blame social media for this. Social media, particularly when it's used in politics, it's really just a feeder for cable TV. Neither a QAnon conspiracy nor a racist slur truly hits the main stage until it migrates from Twitter to CNN or Fox News. And that's where it's either championed or condemned more loudly than any internet platform can. You know, Joe Rogan does something on his podcast, but no one's truly upset till you hear about it on TV. Social media, all this stuff, this is just the A-B testing of television content's ability to polarize America and make money from it. And as a result, we're contending with a media environment where everyone is supposed to be on one side of an incipient social civil war or another. One channel will have us believe that 40% of Americans are ready for a bloody coup if another Democrat wins in 2024, and the other insists that people who live in cities are either violent blacks or elitist urbanites preparing for totalitarian control. And the millionaires and media celebrities who are flown to Manhattan to appear on shows like, say, uh, Fox News uh, Gutfeld, which is the most profitable corporate media show in its time slot. They act as if they were the downtrodden, unacknowledged heart and soul of middle America, that they're uniquely qualified to critique liberals for wearing expensive clothes at the Met Gala, you know, that only they can feel the red state pain and express its humiliation under the boot of the squad's totalitarian empire and if those you know right wing ideologues if they ask their limo drivers to bring them to the part of Queens that AOC represents and where I teach at the public college, they would see that urban people were just as working class as the people in the so-called flyover country. And no, the people walking on the streets of Flushing are not afraid of red state people coming to attack them. They're just trying to earn enough money to make rent. Yes, they pay the federal taxes that fund projects in red states, but they're not complaining about it the way many who would falsely set red and blue states against against each other, want us to believe. And meanwhile, I <laughs> don't do this much anymore, but an evening with MSNBC's hosts, though certainly it's more fact-based, it leaves me feeling like a bloody insurrection is in the works, like around the corner. Even the so-called Anti-democratic movement of recalls and recounts, like the the cyber ninja audit in Arizona, those simply confirmed existing vote tallies. Was it necessary? No. Was it a coup? Not really. But yes, yes. Twitter is filled with anti-vax conspiracies, but not every effort to return to normal face-to-face living has to be condemned as some red-state denialists brewing dangerous new strains of COVID that are going to kill the innocents. You know, and, and as I travel America, red and blue, which I'm doing just a little bit again, I don't see any of this insanity on the ground. I see people trying to make ends meet, people confused about the best way to get through the pandemic, people concerned about the changing climate, as well as who might exploit the changing climate, and worried for the nation in which their children will one day be adults. Life is hard enough without television anchors and talk show hosts imploring us to question the good faith efforts of everyone, everywhere, simply to get by. They are not expressing our anger. They are stoking it. So, yes, there are real issues to learn about, you know, abortion rights, gerrymandering, legislative control over elections, the endless pandemic, wealth disparity, racism and climate change. These are actionable issues, but necessary legislation to address them. It's actually it's it's stymied by the fake wars over how they reflect the values in one's broader cultural portfolio. We mustn't let the shock jocks of cable news convince us that the conversations on social media represent the state of debate or that what we post on these platforms even matters. Don't feed the trolls. Feed the hungry.
2: that's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: I'm really glad to start the new year of Team Human Shows with a conversation with my great friend, Jamie Cohen. Jamie uh, is teaching at Queens College right now alongside me and Josh. He's also the head of education at Digital Void, which is at digitalvoid.media. Uh, but you got to go to to really understand it's a podcast and and writing and live events about memes and culture and media. Um, and he's my great friend uh, has had a whole lot of uh, wonderful experiences in media, education, and producing, and directing, and he's a great uh, thought partner in crime. And uh, I wanted to speak to him because I've been thinking so much about this sort of uh, fascistic media environment that we're moving into And I really wanted some help to think about, well, what is life going to be like under fascism if we really continue going there? And, you know, what are our possible high leverage points to uh, eking out a meaningful and kind existence in such a space? So here's my conversation. I just finished just two seconds ago with my good friend and, uh, and colleague and comrade Jamie Cohen. So hi, Jamie. I got to see you just like yesterday or the day before, but you haven't been on this show for like three years. So I figured it's a good moment to have you back. I've been watching all this uh, January 6th anniversary stuff and reading a bunch of articles that have come out recently about fascism and stuff. And as you know, I got invited to be on Bannon's podcast, which also sent me through a whole lot of self-reflection about how is my work a gateway to fascism, you know, because I love humans and nature and, you know, against big systems and such. And um, I'm starting to fear that, that fascists won, you know whatever side they are you know uh, that we that we're moving into a fascist environment which uh, uh dictates a lot of the way people on all sides think about things yeah. To make a long story short, there were these places before that were fascist or totalitarian, whether it was the Pharaoh in Egypt and Alexander the Great and Rome and Caligula and whatever. There's all these horrible dictator kind of people, and they get power not just because they're strong as individuals, but because they're able to create these mythologies, these kind of populist mythologies or fear or fear of other that somehow, you know, are, are self-perpetuating until they do have enough power that, you know, if you try to say something else, they, they come and kill you or you have no power over the press or the speech or whatever it is. So, and there are these things and we've seen them around, whether it was that guy in the Philippines with the wife with all the shoes or or Evita, remember Evita, Perón mm-hmm. and all that. So it's happened, right? And there's Pinochet, I guess, does he count?
3: Yeah, he counts. Yeah, because he was dropping ju- journalists out of helicopters. So it-
1: right, so these things happen. And then here in America we had, and we've both written about this kind of a reality television society that believed reality TV, uh, uh, an American Idol vision of democracy that believed that people actually believed that they were voting with their phones for who got picked to be the star on American Idol. And there's a they put a caption at the end of every episode, basically, that said, your votes don't actually count. Where, you know, our producers are informed by what you say, but they can do whatever they want. right? You know, all that. Or that they're watching other reality TV shows that they don't realize have scripts. Right. right? That that the people are told, you're going to push her off the boat over this point. You know, fight over this and then push her. Then get in a fight about this and we'll cut right before you hit. All right? Good. I mean, that's reality TV. For those of you who don't know, it's all Fake. Fake, 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 (laughs) right? And they used that, right? And it was great to help this guy, this hotel owner guy, Trump, who is in a lot of debt, got to recast his image. He could- borrow a whole lot more money because of the character they created for him on this show. No harm, no foul until you run for office and use the mythology that was built around you to do that. And, and it's not like it was this guy's fault or reality TV's fault because America also had all these other economic problems mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the white lower middle class and working class has been outsourced and automated and all these other things have gone on to lead to the preconditions for, for discontent, yeah. you know, and a changing... Uh, uh, changing uh, uh, racial fabric of the country. There's a lot of reasons why a lot of things happening that would need to be handled and massaged and worked on and new forms of consensus. And there, there was actual work to be done that we didn't do. So we end up now a whole bunch of people in America believe really weird stuff, right? That, you know, more than half of Republicans believe that the election was not real, you know, even though there's no actual evidence, you know, or believe that, you know, about the pederists and the QAnon and the this, people believe weird stuff. Mm-hmm. It makes me think that, okay, something like fascism, and I'm using the word fascism as as the sort of st- state of society more than a particular political spectrum relationship between corporations and government and blah 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 right i just mean a kind of a a a totalizing dictatorial authoritarian state that a whole bunch of people are cheering for that if that's happening here and i mean this almost in a self-preservational way assuming i'm not leaving because this is my country and i i responsible for what it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, I might as well now bear the, you know, the the, the brunt of some of the uh, uh, dark side of this. Well, what does it look like somewhere like here? I mean, it, you get Pinochet or something. the 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 lights are still on yeah. in fascism, right? I mean, the nuclear power plants are still there. I mean, I guess that's the part that I'm so confused about. Having lived a sheltered American life for so long, is. If we do go full fascist, what happens? Do they send us to camps and stuff? I don't think so, right?
3: I mean, it depends on the level. (laughs) It also depends on the the. I think about this all the time. I mean, this is like my a a majority of my work is focused on a lot of what you just spoke about too, which is like these theories. Um, I think what's scary isn't so much a lot of these theories. Again, that's very American. I think. As long as there's been America, there's been myth- mythmaking. There's been stories being told. There we only focus on the present because we live in it, but for all periods of all of history of the United States, we've invented new religions, we've invented new philosophies. It's just sort of what we do. I think the scary thing that you mentioned though isn't so much the people who disbelieve in a fair and free election. It's the percentage of people that believe that violence is the only way to fix it. And I think that's what I I'm Hmm. focused on when I think about fascism. Fascism could act in very weird stances. I mean, uh, Berlusconi arguably had a pseudo-vidiocracy type of fascism during the early 2010s and the bunga bunga parties and everybody who was (laughs) interested in like being on TV rather than focusing on politics – And there wasn't a violent insurrection, so to speak, but there was violence in the streets. There was segregation and there was anti-immigrant stances. And so when it comes down to this, I guess it comes down to where you live. United States isn't Italy. Italy's like the size of Arizona. So (laughs) when you think about the United States, we have whole states that wouldn't see anything change at all. Like literally nothing would change if it was a fascist structure. You have other states though, where neighbors potentially could, hurt each other or cause community issues. And and as you've always mentioned, it's like, our, the only way to survive this is to get to know your neighbor, you know, is to get to really be around people that are closest to you and really focus on it. But if the social fabric tears apart, people will pick sides. And it's that small percentage, fortunately, it's still the minority that think that violence may be the answer. And that might be the group of people that I'd be nervous about.
1: So it's those it's those places that weren't that weren't fully redlined by <laughs> by FDR and and Robert Moses, where you got those oh oh there's a a neighborhood of sort of you know, there's still you know white guys here and black guys there. It's those little areas or the Mexican area mm-hmm. from the you know the those little conflict places. Whereas if you're in a in surrounded in a homogeneous you know area you're probably not going to be fighting yeah, we'll see street is
3: there's, there's a mythology too from that i hear quite often in the US and in Italy when i'm when i'm there and i hear people say oh there's that phrase the trains ran on time when mussolini was in charge and it's like they ran on time because half the people were in jail. And there was such a low amount of people, there was no s- struggle. And they, they eliminated all the people that weren't <laughs> yeah. white. Uh, I mean, of course, things are going to run smoother when you constr- when you control the environment, but it's at the right. cost of extraordinary pain. There's no
1: weight on my <laughs> easy pass line. No. Yeah. <laughs> and,
3: but when you, look, when you zoom out, there's that, that H- HuffPo article from years ago, which was like, I just don't know how to tell you how to care about other people. You know it's like it's to me I think it comes down to that empathy s- situation but but
1: that's on a local level right sure, and that's yeah. always what I argue right Absolutely. make friends with your neighbors and your neighbors will be less likely to just sit by when they take you to the camps right that's that's true but on a on a scaled level then you wonder you know I'm I'm sitting listening to you know CNN or MSNBC in the car and I'm thinking well how long are they going to let these people say all this stuff, you know, if they're in charge, you know, if one, if, you know, and I could see the other side saying that too, you know, how long are they going to let, you know, uh, maybe not Fox, but the ones, you know, the other the media media shows even to the to the uh, weirder than Fox you know uh, uh, Bannon's podcast and all you know if you know the Democrats had full control over over media would they even let that I think they would because that's part of I think they of, their, would.
3: I, I think of that more than all of everything else because I start to think about like our First Amendment is the most powerful amendment in the United States and our freedom of speech and freedom of expression enable that type of diversity of ideas to to work. So it does become a corporate responsibility rather than a uh, amendment or or uh, or legal responsibility. I think I think as soon as Tucker Carlson did his side on the Fox streaming channel, he did this like insurrection documentary basically calling the everybody who rioted the Patriots, and he was—it right. was basically an FBI trap. As soon as that aired, I was like, "Okay, now we're on the other side."
1: Right. That was a turning point. Right. Yeah. So, for people who don't know, this documentary basically said that the the January sixth insurrection that Trump's people took credit for at the time was actually an FBI. FBI false flag attack, mm-hmm. right? That there's like actors hired by FBI and Soros and whoever to go in and stage this thing. And an increasing number of people, just like the election, you just have to keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. And people go, oh, this is the, it was an FBI attack, an FBI fake attack. That people believe that. And once they do, you know, it, it, it triggered a lot of things for me. I mean, one was that what have i been trying to do all these years fighting to make people media literate and all yeah. that you know have i why bother i should have just been a storyteller if people really want a story just give them a story why am i trying to give them the the power to const- when you give people to, the power to construct their own narrative they make qAnon right that's 100% correct <laughs> with the that's, pro- that's discouraging qAnon is a Critical thinking
3: cult. When they say do their research, they're using tools that would be the same tools you would teach with media literacy. So they're they're just in their own chamber of it, but they're using the same tool set to get that. So they're 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 creating their own myth making and own storytelling because they're doing what they would consider critical thinking, deep dives and stories and and connecting the dots and and what what people on the inside would call baking, finding connections where they never existed. And and like you said, once you say it, you can't unsay it. So I think that's a lot about like media literacy with corrections. A lot of what I see today with modern politicians and, and modern rhetoricians is the ability to say something that's so bold-faced lies, knowing full well that they know it's a lie, but they know it'll be printed. And once it's printed, it becomes reality. And so there, it's a literal manipulation of reality at this point. The reader's reality is far different than reality reality.
1: Right. I mean, but that's why I've always seen the Bible is about that power. God makes the world with his words, Mm -hmm. right? He makes the world with his words. The whole thing is like, oh, wait a minute. We are now, we have this stuff called language and with, you know, eventually they had this stuff called writing even, you know, later in later Bible, right? We have this stuff called language. We are going to be Making spells from now the, the with speech comes spellmaking. That's what all speech is, not just the magician, everybody. you are making the world with your words. And that's a a dangerous, powerful responsibility. If you're going to be able to speak, you have to grow up, right? and accept responsibility for reality creation. There
3: is a big break. I've been listening to because I'm a, I'm a glutton for this. I've been listening to a lot of the FBI testimonials of, of people uh, who have who were in the riot and the insurrection, and they were basically speaking about what the, how they feel a year later. And it's a, it's a diversity of different thoughts. And many of them had used the term that I thought was kind of funny, where they were saying, I followed the herd. You know, it was like, mm. I saw the movement going in, I didn't really have control... But all of it, when, when I was listening to it, was the inability to take responsibility. This kind of, like, I'm just going to follow somebody else who's, who's doing it. And I'm, th- I'm trying to think, like, who is in the front? And I'm wondering if somebody in the front was also thinking that somebody was in front of them. And I'm, I'm wondering how downstream
1: that is. I wonder, yeah. But, but I could see – and that was the thing. When there's this guy who's gotten all this critique, one of the Republican, you know, the bad guys, said something about how well, I looked at the video. If you look at some of the video, it looks like people – you know, it doesn't look that different from a daily tour, of the capital, and everyone criticized, and I'm like, I've looked at the video. I understand exactly what he's saying, yes. that yes, there's the stuff outside when they had the spears and they're yelling and hurting people and all that. But then when the people from the middle and the back finally got in, they're walking between, they don't even take down the little uh, uh, the velvet stanchions. ropes. stanchions, yeah. Right, the stanchions. <laughs> they're walking as you're supposed to through. Mm-hmm. They're looking at stuff. And it's like, we got in. I could see as it college kid, if I was protesting conscription or this or that or the other, or we went to Groton, Connecticut once to protest the nuclear submarines there, you know, or near Mystic Seaport, there were these things. And some kids, I'm, one kid, he was in jail. He chained himself to the thing and couldn't untie it. He couldn't undo it. He went, and he got arrested. It was a whole thing. But I could see having gotten into trouble because there's a crowd. There's a thousand people. Okay. We're in the nuclear power plant now. And then later people would say, oh my God, they broke in. They they were going to set off nukes. It's like, no, I just followed people in here. So I, so I can, I get that, mm-hmm. you know, that the vast majority of these people are just walking.
3: I look at that consistently, because I still believe, as well as a lot of other people, Well, two things with this is, one, I don't want to minimize that ineptitude played a big role in that not going south. You know, it was, these aren't Insurrectionist in the term of a true coup that would have happened that would have been horrific
1: and they didn't walk in with guns no you know? so
3: there's there were armed people they were more outside and they, they've been arrested and they they're doing they're, they're answering for their crimes at this moment. but when it comes down to it, it was again, this is to me the extension of YouTube. And reality TV is as soon as they got in the building, it became spectacle. It became, how mm-hmm. can I become, basically, I, I, they, they became a level up of a tourist. They they leveled up to now they were right. an unrestricted right. they were tourist.
1: Looking, they wanted to, at that point, once you're in, your job is to create memes. Yes. Right? Right. <laughs> To get in the speaker's chair and get a picture of that. Or let's, what two objects can we put next to each other? Can I put a MAGA hat on Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson? You know, it's yep. like, that's the way you think at that point. So that's where I think
3: media fascism is different because I think that. And, and again, not minimizing the the violence because there could be violence. This is we just happen to get lucky with this one.
1: Well, except for the dead people, we got. Well, lucky. I, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, to, to say <laughs> yeah. there's nine people that died, and it's right. it's,
3: uh, it's horrible, and yeah, and it's still potentially brain damage and physical damage of many of the police right. officers.
1: But way way less than something but, like this. But could in have been.
3: terms of yeah. a coup, we were maybe minutes away for if if had it been competent, we could have had actual on air murders of politicians. You know, right. it's it could have been devastatingly horrific, more than we could ever imagine, and would hopefully not encounter.
1: Yes. But I want to almost ask you as an aside, if that had happened, would it have maybe woken people up to this in a better way rather than a worse way? In other words, would could you still be saying, oh, this was an FBI thing, and oh. Trump is still the president? If you got to that point, then wouldn't people go, oh, this has gotten a little out of hand?
3: I don't want to be too cynical here, <laughs> but I think the only time that I felt like things were going to go well were the few minutes after the insurrection where I was like, there's just no way we don't know who did it now. We, there's just no way, no one, <laughs> no one in the world could say, oh, it's not, po- like, this is this <gasps> is clearly driven by one autocrat who wanted it to be this way. And by the next day... It was completely different. And that night, 137 Republicans voted to not certify. I mean, there wasn't even solidarity within the, the system. I think I don't even like to play with the hypothetical of that because I'm only playing on the cynical realist side of what actually did happen. And what did happen is that it became another myth. It's it's a year later now, and the myth is that. There's sixty percent of Republicans believe that the election was fraudulent, and forty percent believe that violence is the answer. And it's
1: that violence is the answer, right? And that's also yeah. weird. The other thing is, is and, and there was a moment today. Or sorry, I'm sitting online looking at Twitter while I'm listening to the the TV, and there's a guy. I forgot which one one of the Congress people talking about how, after the thing, he picked up this piece of glass, and he's kept it in his pocket every day since you know since the thing happened to remind him of the violence and the glass and that and I see this tweet go by of like, what you're freaking out over a one piece of broken glass, and that to me was. The violent fascism. In other words, wait, oh, it's just a piece of broken glass. It's just five people or nine people died. It's just a piece of, it's just a piece of broken glass. That gets you over. And that's why I look back when I look for the origins of this, I look at the, the, 2000 Gore versus right. uh, Bush election when it was Roger, it wasn't it that sent mm-hmm. the um, he sent the uh, uh, Roger what's the it? Brooks Roger brothers Stone. riots yeah right who yep. did the Brooks brother who sent the mob to the counting room in Florida to try to to stop scare it. them and to stop counting and, and they, they stopped counting <laughs> by shouting at them with a mob of white guys they got them to stop counting the vote and that was the lesson of oh this kind of works then you look back at the video and you go well they didn't really hurt anybody. They were only a little violent. There was only this. They only shouted. And then all of a sudden, what we would have yesterday seen as violence becomes low-level acceptable behavior. So now it's like, well, they just broke some glass. Exactly. (laughs) And this is where I think media, I don't think that
3: was as big... It's This is hard to explain in like the, the view here, but the Brooks Brothers riots weren't crazy because the way the media covered it. In other words, media is part of media fascism. They, it requires propaganda. It requires the media to tell the story. The fact that the media didn't denounce it as anti-democratic, I think, was the important part, was that right. media, which relies on the First Amendment to operate, didn't look at it and say, and denounce it. Media took the objective stance and said—
1: That's not the objective stance. They took the non-objective stance. They took—they censored themselves. They pulled a Hillary where they second-guess everything they're saying Mm -hmm. and said, oh, wait a minute, we have to look balanced. So instead they'll say, this is the Gore side or the Bush side is trying to stop the count because they legitimately feel that da-da-da-da-da. And in their view— Ma. And it's like, wait a minute, these are not these are not a, you can't play that game anymore. you've got to take a stand, but they're afraid to
3: exactly. and I think this is a lot of media structures themselves are are in peril more than we consider. I know that a lot of people on the right want to say that the, aside from Fox News, everything's like liberal media or left media. And I often say we live in a world of almost fully right media because the left is fearing the right's reaction. So when the left liberal, let's just say, let's just pretend it's liberal media. So let's say the liberal media wants to report on a story that's critical of the right. The rea- they're already self-censoring because of awareness of the reaction. So, as I've said on the last time when I was here is that I believe that we're in an era of reaction reactionaries. We live in that meta space where everything is just the reaction to the reaction. We no longer have the real any longer. We're just kind of bouncing around in reactionary stances everywhere. yeah <laughs> The problem I think with the reaction reactionaries, just to go one step further, is that it could be monetized and so I think right. that is where i that's where my work inter intersects with this, which is that. YouTube has been very good at rewarding the reaction reactionaries. They're very aware that this is, gets views, it gets clicks, it gets hits, it gets uh, everything. It gets endorsement deals, it gets anything you want. It gets t-shirts made up, it gets uh, dropship stores created. You know, it's these are all because if you react to the reaction and you all exist solely in that meta space, it's it's kind of like speculation is infinite, infinite, whereas knowledge is finite.
1: Well, right. Well, the the other side of that coin is like saying... Commercial media is fascism. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean? There's almost no other way to say it. Commercial media is, fa- period. Because the the media exists then to make a profit, so it's going to do fascism. It's just all it can do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's stuck. It's automatic.
3: Yeah, it only operates in one space.
1: That is totalizing. That is authoritarian. That's it. One space.
3: And how do we escape it? And so that, that's why like, Italy is different because Berlusconi state media was Berlusconi media. Whereas in the United States, right. it's corporate media. And because we have Citizens United and the ability to literally pay for super PACs that could buy politicians directly, that corporation can participate in the p- political process. It could, it could play with politics as well.
1: So then, if we as individuals and we as team human, my hope is not we win anything or anything. My hope is that we can maintain a thread of human decency through the coming era that we can make it through the desert to the next Canaan, right? So we keep some kind of human hope alive through a dark age. We keep the little light in quest of fire, the little glowing ember. Right? If and then I know that's at a bare minimum I want to accomplish that. So, you know, Trump gets elected, but before Trump, when climate change was was starting to become clear, I had a friend the the real estate agent who had who had gotten me my uh, apartment in Brooklyn, this really smart woman from, you know, Cornell, some Ivy League woman, left to go to Canada. She's like, "I'm going getting a piece of land where I could grow food. Goodbye." And this is the person trying to sell houses in Brooklyn. So she she leaves. Then another friend of mine, or a bunch of friends of mine, four or five friends of mine, when Trump got elected, three went to Canada and one went to Holland. And I'm thinking, God, you're smart. You know, two of them are Jews and they're afraid of, you know, God knows what. You know, they're parent, Holocaust survivor parents, and you know, I get it. So they're a little bit more ear to the track than I am. But I didn't want to... I mean, part of me wanted to go. I had an offer to go to Toronto. I'm thinking, damn, let me just get out of here, be with those nice, calm... Calm McLuhanites in in Canada. But I'm here. It's like I don't want to run. This is where I was born. This I feel partly responsible for what's happening here. America's inflicted such harm on others. How dare I go? When my America finally turns its harm focus on me, then I mm-hmm. then I leave and goes, That's such that's pretty elite and entitled. Yeah. So I'm here. But if we are here, what do we do? I mean, that's why I was first asking, what is life like under a Pinochet-style, Trump-style, whatever-style fascism we're we're potentially moving towards? What does that look like? And then how do we – uh, maintain ourselves through it. Do we get quiet? Should I stop doing a podcast mm-hmm. and just do my my quiet things? You know, just sign a couple of things that that maybe go on Bannon a couple of times just to oh, no, no. get, get out of jail. <laughs> get out of jail yeah, free right. card. Tickets, you don't you get. <laughs> hey, hey, wait! I was on. Bannon. Don't don't put me in that. That's oven. just a delay. I was, I call my friend Steve. <laughs>
3: that's just a delaying the <laughs> inevitable. Um, the no to, to to be positive about this because it does seem like this is doom and gloom. To if and I, again, I don't I, I don't want to take a hypothetical stance of what happens if we switch to a, a horrific authoritarian state where it's a democracy in name only. You know that's
1: right. We don't even have to go that. We don't have to tell that story to go that as the sort of fascistic energies and right. and styles of governance and society uh, increase but to, to answer your question i don't I wouldn't leave. I,
3: I think that by leaving, you leave those who are far more vulnerable, completely vulnerable. I think if you go, that is a sign of like, extraordinary ability and privilege to just be like, know, see ya, I'm bouncing. you, you know?
1: Haq, <laughs> right? Umer Hawk, right? <laughs> Hawk writes this stuff on Medium. He's got zillions of followers. And it's all of this kind of disaster porn that he's writing, the climate's gonna fall and the government's falling and Trump's gonna, you're gonna cut off heads now. And he wrote this one piece, now is the time to leave, leave now before it's too late. And all these people, how do I get? Out. Where do I go? I'm trying to get to New Zealand. I'm trying to, and I'm like, why are you first? That's an assholic thing to write. <laughs> and you know what I mean. And second, it's like you don't. There is nowhere to go. It's right. like you're gonna go somewhere. This is you're on the same world. It's you're the same not planet. Tech bro, right?
3: And if you go somewhere else, you're displacing someone else. It's it's not equally we're growing as a population it's like it's right who is the white
1: who is the white privileged frontiersman yeah, you know the so, pioneer okay, so this right? <laughs> one sucks i'm gonna go be a conquistador where could i want to go to friggin madagascar and, and grow a vanilla yeah. farm right
3: uh, to be honest yeah. i think it's like it's a bit like sad to leave because i i, yes. I think it's a it's if I'm going to be here, I think to answer your second part of your question is, no, I don't think you should stop ever recording the podcast. I think the big thing that I'm going to switch to more often is organization, organizing. I think organizing is an answer within even if if the structure is to fall apart, your, an ability to organize will be the most powerful thing that anyone can do. And so I think organizing is what I'm going to be personally focused on moving forward in my activism, aside from direct action and digital activism. But I, I think teaching and learning skills of organizers and helping people at a close level that scales outward slowly doesn't doesn't become commodified and decide that it wants to yeah. create a DAO or something like that and scale up into buying parts no, of it. that is
1: good. That is good. You know, and, and it's funny because I finally started watching that Station Eleven. Oh yeah, show. Yeah. You know, which reminds me of this great. Theater piece called Red Noses about a theater troupe during the the Dark Ages in in Europe. It's a beautiful, beautiful play, and it gave me hope because it was like organizing. It's like, oh, well, I know how to make a theater troupe. Yeah, I know how to do that. I really do. I know how to make and organize a theater troupe. So if I can organize a theater troupe, then I can organize in the in the, the post American, you know, continental. As long as you uh, ethically
3: era. say no when Nancy Pelosi asks you to sing a song on the. <laughs> on the anniversary,
1: oh, I'll sing a song. I'll <laughs> sing a song. It'll just be a different one, right? Yeah.
3: But yeah, do it differently. I think there's. I I am an optimist within all of this negative stuff because I do feel like yeah. I I I'm I'm a climate activist. I'm an environmentalist. I think every professor needs to be a climate professor. I'm very well aware of the oncoming disasters that are far bigger than our issues where we're dealing with media and everything. Like there's there's a certain catalyst. Point where we're going to reach a moment where we're going to have no other choice but to organize because there will be some disasters that won't be, that'll start be per- becoming perpetual or yearly or so problematic that we're going to have to house people that we tra- traditionally wouldn't have considered needing to be housed. And that, that's not even taking into account the unhoused that currently are so vulnerable that they have no literal, pre- one of the basic needs of protection against the oncoming collapse.
1: Well, that's part of what I thought the American fashion fascism was sort of about—that the wall between, you know, Texas and Mexico is not about the current immigration; it's it's a, a it's a climate change strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's looking at there are about to be some real mass migrations You're of humans. You're hundred percent right. You know, Bangladesh is going to be underwater before you know it. Where are those people going? Who's going to take them? Oh, yeah, this is that whole thing.
3: The the strategists behind the wall used the wall as a phraseology that Trump could remember, but it was really about when they saw the Syrian refugee crisis occurring right. and trying to mitigate that on this continent, which is based in deep racism and inability to de- or desire to be what America's pluralism is supposed to be. And uh, to bring it back to the dark side here, is that's why a good majority of the insurrectionists and Tucker Carlson fans believe in the Great Replacement Theory. It is a theory. It is false and as a fear mongering tactic, because there's a belief in a cataclysmic notion of a white culture that that comes from the US. And if you just keep using this, this phrasing over and over again, you could take away the idea that we're on one globe, you just make it very myopic and say, the US is all that matters. It's like a jingoistic first feeling,
1: and this I've never figured out because I watch I I do um, the Maddow Sean Hannity flip oh, yeah. right yeah. every night at nice night toggling. I watch both yeah. shows yep. yeah yeah <laughs> I toggle back and forth and have different kinds of experiences good and bad on both but obviously my the politics is closer to to Rachel's but I watch um, I watch Sean Hannity and sometimes wonder. Does he? Does Tucker? Do they believe what they're saying, or are they entertainers? You know, oh, wow. I, I like I, I really, I, I do, I don't know. They seem too clever to believe what they're speaking. This
3: is okay. Oh, Josh and I talk about this actually all the time about I, I when we talk about kayfabe and wrestling because I always, as a as a young person, I always wondered the difference between what happens when a wrestler goes off the screen? Like, they're throwing people around, but when they go home, yeah. they're not throwing their kid across the wall. You know, like, they're not right. picking well, them up. Well,
1: you believed it when you were a kid, right? well, I mean, be- I believed it until sure. I was like 14. Absolutely. I believed it. I
3: thought it was real. But same as yeah. reality TV, right? I, you could believe right. that up to a certain age, and if you don't unbelieve it, you just hide in the shell of being like, oh, it's real, it's real. Yeah. I think there is a certain point. Uh, that's what the question, I think, comes down to. Does Sean Hannity go home and continue to espouse these falsities? Does he continue to believe the bol- the lie so much that it is it just is reality? I don't know. I don't know the truth of that. But I could tell you this, some YouTubers and some online personalities do believe the lie. They've owned the grift to the point where they can't actually exist outside of it. If they do, they would have a severe personality break. They would have right. a disconnect or a cognitive dissonance that they can't, can't heal because they don't have a support structure. So I'm talking mostly about like, Instagram influencers or YouTubers whose whole entire existence is based on living publicly and living a life that is both online and offline. If they're seen in public, they have to continue it. So they've built themselves into that. So Hannity represents a corporate structure. He probably has an off button, whereas somebody who's like DC Drano on Instagram probably does not have an off button. Is probably always all the time in the living a lie that he can never ever escape from as long as he continues to make income from social media
1: platforms. And because likewise, on the so-called left, I see them way too often, intentionally misrepresent something. I'll see them pull a quote from a Trump speech, like a a, a big one was when they, uh, they said, oh, Trump says he's the chosen one. He says he's Jesus. And the guy was joking about Israel, and it was like all these people failed, and it's like, finally, we're going to fix it. I'm the chosen one. I'm the one who's going to fix it. It was not. It was not. Even... It even it wasn't even a, a a red whistle, whatever they are, dog whistle mm-hmm. thing. It was, thing. it was just a thing. Yep. It was just, and you could do that to any of us, right? There's mm-hmm. like seven examples you could pull out of context just from the conversation we've had already sure. that you could get me eliminated from the planet. I'm mm-hmm. sure if you if you played them right. And then when I look and and I look at Lawrence O'Donnell, I think is the worst of them. I will look at him; he's the one who's on after Rachel, and I'm like, he knows this isn't what happen, right? He knows it's not. He's trying to use it to make a point, but once... They go there, then you start to get that equivalency. It's like, oh, come on, you don't need that. You've actually got reality on your side, you know. And they think, you know, what? I don't know what they think they're doing. I guess they think, okay, we're gonna play that game. We're gonna take Frank Luntz at his word, and you know, try to really fight the fight so that we can win. But that's not the way you win.
3: I didn't say media fascism was a right only thing. You know, media fascism is right. media fascism. Okay, it's, <laughs> it means people. Right, that's people what I'm saying too. Yeah. Right,
1: that's what. I, I I'm trying to be extra fair here so right. people understand that we're moving into a a totalizing fascist environment where people across the spectrum of belief end up locking in in a certain totalizing and angry and a way a way that's a, a, an unaccepting uh, intolerant posture
3: it's the space of energy Right now, 2022, I think a lot of what Lawrence O'Donnell does to DC Drano to Tucker Carlson is to create energy, is to create some sort of swell, to create action. So the action Mm. results in tweeting, posting, sharing, or going outside and literally picking up a, a flagpole and entering the US Capitol. You know, one way or another, it's energy that has to be placed somewhere. Some energy requires you to just tune in the following night. So it's low-level energy. It's just an energy uh-huh. to keep it going. Some energy puts you outside into direct action. But I think right now, that's what we're watching is energy being manipulated, that people don't have a, a way of this dissipating that energy. And I think with COVID and the pandemic, it actually makes it a bit worse because we don't have a place to put things. And that insular right. attitude is just consistently... A problem and and participating in it, participating in the bad energy, whether you're Lawrence O'Donnell or or anybody, is not good. Like that participation is bad.
1: And when you're in a screen based reality, when you don't have any of the physical world or camaraderie of physical reality to neutralize any of this, it really it goes exponential. Yeah, you know, there's no resistance. How do you
3: diffuse it? It's basically filling up a, a solid metal tank with gases, right? So at a certain point, the the tank can continue continue to take in the gas. It won't deform, but it becomes far more explosive. And mm-hmm. so you have to release that pressure every so often. Otherwise, something happens. And, and whether because the the thing about tank that analogy is like the tank is also if you freeze the tank, it could explode. If you heat the tank, it could explode. In its current neutral state, nothing can happen. It's just filled with energy and nothing happens. But a lot of people who who make a living doing media don't take into account the external circumstances that put pressure on the container.
1: The the other ray of hope here is that 99% of what we're talking about is not real it is map right. and not territory even right. money is not real it's capitalism right. right so this is all the abstraction it's all of our symbol systems so if the entire universe of symbol systems explodes are we left with reality again Ooh, <laughs>
3: that's a that's a great question um
1: I mean, we'll just be grunting at each other, you know, like, you know, cavemen or something, <laughs> yeah. I guess, right? The loss
3: of all symbols and symbology. We just have like this this well, it's bumbling. Babble,
1: right? The, bab- the babble, it's yeah. babble. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why God did that, yep. right? Because mm-hmm. people it was getting fucked up.
3: Yeah, there was just too many, too many one ideas. So it was time to split it up into tens of thousands of voices. But that again, Babel, like as a meme, was a story being told about the Jews who are being kept as slaves in Phoenicia, you know? So it's like, how did, how is that story going to be a story of resilience? That how can they resist mm. the structure? So I think, yeah, I think maybe there'd be a reset to reality, but I think it could be unpredictable, and probably yeah, not no, as long-lived as we'd expect.
1: No. <laughs> it's what, it sounds like another one of those accelerationist yeah, right, fantasies. Exactly. I don't think we should play with this one. I don't want to know, the, to be honest with you. <laughs> right. Let's get the economy to explode. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe not. It's weird. To, I mean, part of what inspired me to want to talk to you now, I was on a Zoom call last night with these new upstart candidates for the board of trustees of my town right? So what happened was um, New York State made pot legal. And as a result, they're allowed to start uh, planning dispensaries. And each town in New York State had till the end of this year to opt out of being a legal pot territory, or they've necessarily opted in. And our town wasn't going to opt out, whatever, you know, we're just Go with the flow, and just, pot's legal. We'll just do it. We're a progressive town, and we don't already have a liquor store, so we don't want to be prejudiced against pot stores or whatever. And we're zoned so small; no one's going to want to open a pot store in our town. Frankly, there's no parking. There's nothing. Just, you'll go out of business even with a pot store. It's nothing. We're empty. We're horrible. Um, we're quaint, but there's there's no business here, and. It created a stir, though, right, that uh, some people in town got the idea. There was actually a a recovering addict who's very against legalization of pot and everything. He started to show studies – which aren't really good, good ones, that, oh, if there's a dispensary, your kids are gonna be exposed to pot and all this bad stuff's gonna happen. And parents here are alarmist. It's a bedroom community. They got all upset. And so they started a fight against the board of trustees to say, no, no, don't do it. You know, you can't have pot. Don't be that progressive. Our children are gonna become addicts and there's these problems. Board of trustees went through with it anyway. You know, they did all these meetings and the town was about 50-50 split, and it's a progressive board, and they said, eh, they actually the board was split, but three said yes to. Who said no. And this group was like, those two who said, you know, they wanted to do it, the two board members, we're going to get, we're going to get them, right? So they they immediately get two candidates to go against the, the and, and there was a Zoom about these two new candidates who've never had a minute of public service. They never volunteered for a board. They know nothing about zoning and this, and they're spouting all this stuff. There should have been a vote, a town vote about this. There should have been a referendum, just like stuff that's not legal. They don't understand how civics legally works in our town. And I don't mind. So you want to run against it. You want to be a, a, a an anti-pot candidate in our town to run for the board. You go do that. But when I'm watching the Zoom and I'm looking at people's faces and I'll see someone say some, uh, you know, anti-pot thing, or, oh, and it was an undemocratic process. It was a little bit like the way, you know, Trump lost the election, and then people say, oh, but he didn't really lose. It was a whole thing. So here they're saying, oh, but the town, it was a corrupt thing, and it wasn't the real process, and they didn't do real democracy. And when they're doing that, I see people on the Zoom, the supporters, their faces like, like their teeth gritting and them nodding in agreement in that angry way and i could see it almost and that was what frightened me most see people i know to see their facial expressions and their bodies change from normal pliable reality to uh, uh, to that that you know, pre-fascist posture. I don't mean that they're fascist. It's that energy of we are right and they are wrong. And whatever happened that we don't agree with must be because they are corrupt. Not because they have a different opinion, but they are corrupt and they are wrong and we've got to stop them. And it's like, wow. And to see that is so easily triggered now, especially it's online, Mm -hmm. but it made me realize the air is different. Yes. And there's got to be a way to... Uh, Neutralize to unwind that to soften that whether it's sex or drugs or <laughs> I don't know what. Sure, I mean your story.
3: Yeah, because it's a, this is a audio medium. While well, you were telling your story, I was doing the faces that you were saying. Like I could feel the I could feel what you were saying. I could feel what was mm-hmm. going on on the screen. So I think a, a lot of what that is is our ability to 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 motivate people into knowing how that even looks or even how that feels. And I and I think. Those aren't really hot button topics either, but I think they're hot button no. because they occur It's sort of like when you look back at gay marriage, you know, you it was a major huge step forward for civil rights uh for the the the, the betterment of the United States for democracy. And at the time it was it was like psychotic.
1: Like it was just it was
3: out of it control. Was. Well,
1: what if my <laughs> kid sees a gay marriage yeah. and decides to become gay? Right. I mean, as if that was like a, that was an expressed opinion. Yeah, it's like, well, wait a minute, our kids could turn gay.
2: Yeah, and it was
1: like because none of it was based in <laughs> any
3: type of realistic right. care. It was based in just fear mongering, and right. I think in this case, I've heard the uh, same thing. Depending on the community, one of my one of my friends uh, uses kind of coded language. He says something along the lines of. Uh, well, I don't want it in my town because I don't want to bring in the riffraff. And I was like, you mean like me? Like, what? Like who's who's like who's the riffraff? So I was like, that's coded in like some sort of obvious racism, but that's because of an unknowledge of where who's who's the person or who's telling them who where are these bites coming from. A lot of this, I think, when you see those board meetings, the Zoom board meetings, it allows people to prepare sound bites. It allows them to hear things on the news or talk radio or some other podcast and say, Oh, that's a good line. And then they have it armed. It's like a little ammo container. And so I think what's changed in the air is that we just have better Ways of arming herself with quips, and those quips, like even down to the people who testify in front of Congress about social media, they aren't the people that are more team human. They're more people who are like ability to soundbite something. You know, it's like they they have the ability to really condense something down to a synthesized version of something pretty dumb and not really strongly engaged or or personal. They're they're very aware that they know how to quip attack. They have a, a a clip on their rhetoric gun that's just quip after quip.
1: <laughs> and I do think part of the cure if there is one is to help people start to recognize when their body is becoming fascist. You know, cuz we all do it. When you get locked in, when that gets triggered you know and and for me what I started to do and this is why god bless her but why I tune off Rachel Maddow is because there are moments on each broadcast where I feel oh she's triggering my inner fascist right she's triggering my thing and I don't want that triggered I don't want that uh, activated and once you start to be repelled by it rather than addicted to it it does kind of change. It does. It changes a lot. I,
3: I took some time off from Twitter because I felt myself going into a place where I couldn't control that type of angry emotion or that, that type of emotion where I was. I, I felt I needed to respond. So I was like, I need to take a break. Right. I need to just take a little bit of time. I also think that's a, a, some bit of a privilege, too. Like, not Twitter, but like TV. Like, the ability, what I always say to students, like, to, you have to go outside and touch grass. Not everyone can. You know, not everyone can actually get out of these systems. Like they there's can't touch
1: grass, but they can stop watching <laughs> can. so much T V and so much net. You really can. There's no one they're not making money. The people who aren't privileged enough not to do it are not like making money doing it.
3: So No, it's not their job. No, you, and they could can. literally stop. Yep. And I think You can if they had the confidence to stop, which I think is a big part of it, it would change their 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 world like i just yeah it's it's a it's well, a, a feeling it's an energy you're right
1: it's also the for me it was getting over the obligation to have an opinion on everything yeah. i mean it's partly i guess my job as some kind of a thinker person is to have an opinion but when i'm like i don't know it's like so much better and it's like I don't know. And it's not that I don't care, but I trust that someone else does. So it's like, every remember everyone was asking me about, I did a monologue about it, about like Biden's Afghan withdrawal strategy. And when I, I don't know, I, you know, it just turns out I don't have a lot of education in how you withdraw from a war. (laughs) I don't know I really don't know how it's done. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, and it's like I'm sure they're going to do the, whatever. They're going and I don't even know if we're supposed to be in that war or not. I don't know about the region. I don't know I don't know what they're sp- Farsi or what they're speaking. I don't I don't know. I, but there are these things I do know that I care about and I'm helping lots of people in my way. We don't all need an opinion on every friggin' thing. Right. You know, you could in the good old days My family, we sat down at 6.30 and put on CBS and watched Dan Rather or Walter Cronkite, found out basically what's going on in all those areas that we can't affect except every four years when we vote for president, and then get on with community service. And my mom's reading for the blind. You know, she recorded stuff for the blind. My dad was on the the temple and the town treasury. You know, we just did what we did. You know, the Pythians and the Kiwanis and the—it was— I'm not, I don't mean, oh, these were such good old days, but there was so much less pressure on the individual to have a formed opinion on stuff they know nothing about. That's right. And now we not only have those opinions, but are just so mad mm-hmm. at the people with the other opinion of the thing that we know nothing about. You think you know about what's going on in friggin' Israel? And I look at the professors where I am fighting over whether... CUNY is supposed to boycott Israeli professors. It's like, do you guys know what's going on there? I study it, and I don't know what's going on there. You see the press release from Netanyahu? You think that's reality? You think, God, how do you know? How do you know what to protest?
3: It comes to – I like that what you just said because that was a big revelation for me over the course of my professional career, which was – not i don't not staying out of it but i i know where my limits of my knowledge are and my ability yes. to make any significant positive change toward it so if i can't actually participate and at least turn it neutral or positive then i sh- i'm not participating in that because i know it's going to turn negative by reaction right and i have no desire to participate in re- the reaction currency at this point because if I'm not helping, then I'm hurting. You know, I'm, I'm actually actively doing it. Exactly. And the point you brought up earlier about the objective reality, as I think is important, is the public square, getting back out and to talk to people and saying to each other, oh, I have this idea. Oh, it's interesting. That's not where mine is. But the ability to reset your reality, I think, is really, really good. Aside from just sitting and absorbing Rachel Maddow's reality or absorbing Sean Hannity's reality, I want to absorb my own. You know, I don't want to just keep absorbing somebody else's.
1: Yep. And I'll absorb yours. <laughs>
0: and you can absorb mine.
1: I like yours. It's a good I, one. I I'll try like that yours. <laughs> on. Oh, exactly. I'll try your try on your reality tunnel <laughs> any day. Well, thank you, Jamie, for uh, for being on Team Human.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. To me. It means a very lot to me.
1: I named a character in one of my novels, this novel called Bull or Exit Strategy. I named him after you before I met you. Oh wow. Isn't that sweet? That is very yeah, sweet. Jamie, Jamie Cohen. That's yeah. right. I,
3: I remember that reference. I remember you telling me that once and I was like, that is that's wild.
1: I, know. Yeah, that's <laughs> I
3: brought you into I brought you, you into my existence. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, there thank you, go. you for that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I manifested you as surely as a kid on TikTok can manifest something. <laughs> and I've got the power. People should find out about you got doing a podcast now, right?
3: Yeah. So Digital Void is the podcast, salon series, and event series. Uh that Josh and I do, and uh, we work with Ryan Broderick on a bunch of live events. And uh, check out digitalvoid.media, because that is where we're doing a lot of our 2022 schedule is going to mix as safely as possible. We're going to try to do live events and uh, a lot more podcasts.
1: So thank you for being on Team Human. Thank you. And hopefully I'll see you really soon. Hope to see you soon, too and thank you for being on team human. Team Human is an entirely listener supported show. You can become one of those listeners, one of those members of the team and get access to our Discord channel and bonus content and free access to our live events once we get out of this covid craziness uh, by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. Team Human is produced by Joshua Chaptalin. That's the Josh that Jamie kept referring to. And edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps.